Welcome to Best True Crime Podcast, a division of Best True Crime Books, Games, and Video, LLC. I'm your lead investigator on this case, Judith A. Yates, award-winning true crime author, a criminologist, and a paranormal explorer. Every episode is an investigation where you and I explore true crime, forensics, historic cases, dark history, and criminal theory. We discuss the cases, share information, no chatter, no commercials, no off-topic. Now, grab your crime scene kit, a notebook, and your favorite hat. This is Best True Crime Podcast. The town was never the same again. People's lives changed forever. Too many times we hear these phrases to describe how crime affects our lives. Redundant passages too often repeated. But for the residents of an English market town of about 7,000 called Hungerford in 1987, these cliches came true. In only six hours, the massacre of Hungerford created fear and an evil presence that never left. Despite an effort to return to normal, the knowledge that no place was immune from violence and bloodshed, Michael Ryan turned the tide to blood red leaving near-crime-free streets awash in destruction. This is the frightening story of the Massacre of Hungerford. Michael Robert Ryan is born in Hungerford, England in May 1960. He is the sole child of his 50-year-old father, a taciturn, stern man, and a doting mother who is 30. The Ryans are quiet, keep to themselves, but friendly when approached. Michael, terribly shy, polite to adults, has poor social skills. He's a loner. A school photo shows a little boy dressed in the school uniform, his sweater slightly wrinkled. He's skinny with knobby knees, soft hair parted neatly to the side. But what strikes you is his expression. He looks sullen, chin dipped low, glaring into the camera. Years later, people would study this photo. They would ask one another, was there a sign? He's just a little boy. Was the monster growing or had it even festered yet? His mother and father spoil him by giving him any toy he wants, any gift he demands. All he has to do is point to something and say, I want. Toy soldiers are a stock favorite. He's bullied at school, but he does have a few friends his age. Somewhere in his youth, he develops a fondness for guns. He shoots at kids with his air gun, perhaps to get revenge at bullies. Yet, he even pops off a few rounds at his friends. An air gun sounds like a real gun to some people. This scared his friends a few times, and they would later report they felt sure they were about to be killed. There are few photos of him as an adult. He has a soft, round face, a beard, and light mustache. He looks thick, but it might be the coveralls that he's wearing in the photos. And he wears a military-style camouflage hat. Michael has a penchant for anything military. His room resembles an army barracks with face paint, camo clothing, knives, bullets, bulletproof vests, guns, always guns. He holds membership cards for two gun clubs. And soon his arsenal includes an Orenko Type 56S, an assault rifle patterned off the Kalashnikov. 
There is a Beretta 92FS and an M1 carbine. A Kalashnikov can penetrate a brick wall from half a mile away. The M1 carbine has magazines that can hold up to 30 rounds. To own these guns, civilians in England must have an officer of the law sign off on legal paperwork. The signature of P.C. Wainwright is on the firearm certificates of Michael Robert Ryan. This is not the only time Wainwright will come in contact with Michael. Michael makes up stories of grandiosity. He brags he's engaged to a beautiful woman. There is a high-ranking military official who's taken an interest in Michael, and Michael tells anyone who listens that this fellow is going to help Michael's military career. Michael claims he is now a parachute trooper. In truth, Michael is not employed in or employed near the military. But Michael's mother plays along. She even invites people to the fake wedding. She brags about her son's future military career. When his father dies, Michael and his mother sell the family home to move in together, a house on Southview Street, and they remain in Hungerford. Michael spends time between home and two gun clubs. His mother continues to purchase whatever he points at, voicing a desire for whatever makes him happy. Michael Ryan is such an excellent shot that trophies and ribbons are part of his room's decor. And he has another hobby. This one is secret. Ten miles from Hungerford is a beautiful wooded park, Savernick Forest. It's perfect for dressing in full camouflage, ducking and diving between trees to follow unsuspecting people. He tests his military skills. See how close he can get to these people, watching them, listening to their conversations. Sexual fantasies probably begin to build for a man who had no social life at this time. It's a powerful feeling to creep up on ladies, smell and hear them, and then slip away. He could even reach over to touch them. More, maybe. And they don't even know he is there. August 19, 1987, at noon. Michael must feel it's time to act. He's wearing his military gear, and he carries a gun. Sue Godfrey, 30 years old, has pulled her car into a parking area for Savernake Forest, and she removes her two children from their car seats. They're about to have a picnic in the beautiful forest. Michael approaches. He orders her to strap the babies back into their car seats. Then he takes Sue into the forest. Hours later, the babies are found wandering hand in hand. Their mommy would be located later in the day, one foot tangled over a low-lying wire fence, her body riddled with bullets. By then, authorities are sure who is responsible. But right now, Michael seems to have a taste for blood, and he is on the loose. Still, Michael is spooked by this murder. He races to his vehicle, drives away from Savernake Forest to only stop at a gas station, a place where he's a regular customer. He fills his tank from a gas can, then walks over to the attendant's booth. There is a motorcyclist who has stopped to gas his tank, and now he's kicking his bike into gear to drive away. Only then, Michael chambers around into his rifle. He aims, fires, and the glass to the booth explodes. 
the female attendant now dives for cover. She is cowering as the rifle's front sight hovers over her body. A clicking noise tells her the rifle has jammed. Frightened again, Michael runs. The motorcyclist has not yet departed, staring in shock as he watched this scene unfold. Michael works the chamber and takes a shot at the motorcyclist, who roars off to dial 999, the United States equivalent of 911. It will be the first 999 to flood the emergency service hotline and later lead to much-needed changes in an entire structure. But for now, it will be another call clogging a taxed system. At 12.45 p.m., Michael arrives at his home on Southview Street. He dashes in to gather up precious guns, ammo, and don a bulletproof vest. He puts a bullet in the family dog. Then... He upturns the gas can. Photographs, furniture, mementos, his boyhood collections, dishes, towels, clothing. In seconds, it is all a roaring furnace. He leaps into the car and on his way to freedom. Until the car doesn't start. The engine whines. A turn of the key, a stomp of the foot pedals. This is the catalyst. No turning back now because there is no escape. There's no beautiful girl, no fabulous wedding, no high-ranking military official, no military. Just a lonely man who feels he will never fit in and everyone around him reminds him of that. So, he gets out and blisters the car full of bullet holes. Then sets off for the only destiny he can fathom that will make him a real man. The first few shots and two neighbors fall dead in their yard. A married couple that has known Michael since he was a two-year-old. They never knew what hit them. Next, random fire into a group of school-aged children. Up and down Southview, some people walk into the gunfire unknowingly. Some die for cover. Others just stop to stare in disbelief. Is this really happening? Does that man really have a gun? This is Hungerford, a non-violent little hamlet. What is shy, pacifist Michael Ryan doing? Michael has the Norinco Type 56S and the Beretta 92FS and his M1 carbine. There are full magazines stuffed in his pockets and waistband. He drops some of the magazines, not bothering to retrieve them. 999 calls begin from Hungerford now. The system needs updating and there are only two lines. Initially, the officers answered the calls and they were polite and then stirred. They must hang up on callers. The closest ambulance and fire truck, even the police and tactical firearm squad are an hour away. Man shooting! A woman has been shot! My little girl is bleeding! A man is lying in the street! And on and on the calls come. Then she comes home. Michael's own mum the only person he loves and trusts. People shout at her, Stop driving! Turn! Stop! Michael's gone mad! She ignores them all, drives toward her burning home. Witnesses see Mrs. Ryan get out of the car. She approaches her son. Michael, stop it! They converse in low tones. No! She orders him. Don't shoot me! He raises the Beretta 92FS handgun. She falls dead at his feet. He pumps two more bullets into her back, and off he goes. 
Finally, responding officer P.C. Brereton pulls up in a cruiser. He is calling for backup. This is no shots fired as reported. This is a bloodbath. Michael casually circles the squad car and then pumps two dozen rounds into the vehicle. P.C. Brereton dies with the two-way radio mic in his clenched hand. Kicking down the door into a house, shots echoed from inside. Michael walks out just as calmly as he walked in. Three people are dead in the house, including a married couple. The husband has thrown himself over his wife, who uses a wheelchair, to protect her. He is circling Southview Street. Some of the targeted neighbors dodge the bullets. Others are only wounded, helplessly watching their blood pull around them. A taxi pulls up, and Michael pops off a few rounds into the car, killing two people. His expression has not changed until now. He drops the Norinco Type 56S. His face registers shock as just waking from a deep sleep and realizing what he has done. Does it stop here? Michael Ryan picks up the 56S. His face returns to that bland expression. His eyes are dead again, and people begin to die in their tracks. P.C. Wainwright is a Hungerford lifelong resident, born and raised there, and now he's on his way, responding to the incident. He learns his good friend and fellow officer P.C. Burton is dead. Wainwright knows it can only get worse. It's market day in Hungerford, and the town center is at its busiest, full of people buying, selling, haggling. At the same time, unbeknownst to him, his parents are driving towards his house for a surprise visit. P.C. Wainwright's parents have stopped in the street because an armed man who is standing in the center of the road. The man raises his rifle and kills P.C. Wainwright's father, who slumps behind the wheel. When his mother steps out of the car, the man raises his gun to shoot her down. P.C. Wainwright will sign his own father's death certificate. By now, first responders arrive, and the tactical firearm squad huddles up to discuss strategy. The police helicopter was out on repair, so it's late arriving, and now it's hovering overhead, but not too close. Michael's Norinco Type 56S assault rifle, initially mistaken for the Kalashnikov, it can take down a chopper. And no one knows where the shooter is now. There are bodies, pools of blood, scattered magazines, and bullet jackets everywhere. The sniper from the tactical firearm squad doesn't have his rifle. It's locked up back at the station. See, the squad was at training when they were called to the scene, and they leaped into their cars and headed that way. Michael does not kill everyone he sees. To some, he holds a finger to pursed lips. To others, he lifts his rifle and just says, BANG! without pulling a trigger. He does not turn toward downtown in the market day crowd. He turns the opposite direction toward the John O'Gaunt School, where he spent many hours in its hallways and classrooms as a lad. It is 1.57. Michael has left 16 people dead and as many seriously wounded. Police find him at the school and they surround the building. They have no idea of the school floor plan, so Michael has the advantage. Then Michael shatters a lower window to throw a rifle out with a white surrender flag attached. 
Police outside begin a dialogue with Michael, who is crunched into a corner of a classroom. Michael continually asks about his mother. Is she all right? He assures them he did not mean to shoot her. It was an accident. Will she be all right? He tells police he did not plan the spree. Hungerford must be a mess, he says. Then, this would have never happened if my car just would have started. One officer gets a look at Michael's face. He looks lost, the cop would later explain. Strange, Michael calls out the window. I killed all those people, but I don't have the guts to blow my own brains out. The officers assures Michael, no one else has to die. No one wants you to die. They just want to help you. Please, Mr. Ryan, just come on out. Hands up, please. Then, what time is it? It's, the officer checks his wristwatch, 6.45. Why do you want to know what time it is, Mr. Ryan? The gunshot's explosion answered the question. Michael Robert Ryan found the guts. At 27, he is dead by suicide, now bringing the death toll to 17. The single bullet would be one of 84 recovered rounds. As a result of what England calls the Hungerford Massacre, the 999 system receives a complete makeover. The Firearms Amendment Act of 1988 is passed by the Parliament of the United Kingdom, banning the ownership of semi-automatic center-fire rifles, restricting shotguns with a capacity of more than three cartridges. Until 1996, the Hungerford Massacre was the worst firearms-related crime in the United Kingdom. Some Hungerford residents were unkind to P.C. Wainwright, blaming him for the massacre, just because he signed off on Michael Ryan's firearm certificates. Other residents rallied around P.C. Wainwright. He buried his good friend, and then both parents and neighbors. He forever lives with the guilt that he signed those certificates. P.C. Wainwright continued to live in Hungerford even after retirement. And no one knew why Michael Robert Ryan went on a shooting spree that August 19, 1987. Psychiatrists tried to diagnose him by his actions and interviews with his remaining neighbors. Sociologists made an effort. Friends and neighbors attempted to dredge up a memory, any memory, that might explain. The two people that might have a substantial clue are gone. Michael is cremated. His mother is buried. So are the answers. And that is the true story of the Massacre of Hungerford, the 7,000 residents of a town in England who had never experienced violent crime. Until Michael Ryan picked up guns. Hey listeners, my name is Judith A. Yates. Like so many of you out there, I have suffered from depression and I have been suicidal. I've also been the victim of discrimination, but there is help out there. You can text HOME, H-O-M-E, to 741-741. That is the crisis text line. You can connect with a crisis counselor and it's free 24-7 support right there at your fingertips. Here's how it works. You text HOME, H-O-M-E, to 741-741 from anywhere in the United States, anytime. 
and a live trained crisis counselor receives the text and will respond. It's a secure online platform. Crisis counselor can help you with gun violence, coronavirus, anxiety, eating disorder, depression, suicide. Give them a text at 741-741. They also se habla español and they are GLBT friendly. So don't sit alone and don't do anything dangerous to yourself or others. Please, there is hope out there and there is help. Be safe out there. Thank you for joining me on this investigation, exploring true crime, forensics, historic cases, dark history, and criminal theory. This is Best True Crime Podcast. No chatter, no commercials, no off-topic. I do hope you will subscribe. This podcast runs off donations only. You can drop us a donation, $35 or more, and I'll send you a signed book. Just go to www.besttruecrime.com. My name is Judith A. Yates, award-winning true crime author, a criminologist, and a paranormal explorer. Thank you for joining me on Best True Crime Podcast, a division of Best True Crime Books, Games, and Video, LLC. Be safe out there.